Hi, FA Europeans. This is Matthias, and in this episode, I speak with Nick Newman. He's the CEO of Casa, a startup from Denver in the US. Today, we talk about the different security aspects of holding crypto, and here, especially Bitcoin, as one of the more conservative plays in that field. So, one important question you have to ask yourself when holding crypto is whom do you trust more, yourself or the exchange? So, in the past, your choice has been storing crypto on a hardware wallet and potentially losing the device or the password, or you could have kept your holdings on an exchange like Binance or Coinbase where you do not control the cryptographic key to the wallet. So basically Casa is helping to make hardware wallets and self-custody more resistant to human failure and improving user-friendliness and resilience. And by that it's making crypto available for a broader audience and driving the evolution of the current wave of new financial services. Welcome to the Financial Independence Euro podcast, where we interview people from all 44 European countries, all of them, about optimizing your life, geo-arbitrage and making the most of your money. This with your host, Matthias. Hello, FA Europeans. Do you like to diversify your portfolio and earn a nice and steady income? With LandSecured, you can invest in agricultural projects and support European farmers directly starting from 1st of March. It's a great alternative for payday loans with a loan term from 6 to 12 months. These loans are secured by crop insurance, personal guarantee and a three-way agreement. Visit financial-independence.eu slash LandSecured or click the link in the show notes to learn more. Two years ago, the FI Europe community met in Portugal, and I will always remember it. And in 2022, we'll meet again and we'll bring it to the next level. Let's meet again next May in the mountains of Spain, close to the Mediterranean Sea. The goal is to learn from each other, share experiences and create connections with like-minded people. In a remote, holiday-like setting, we want to offer talks, workshops and activities. We want to move you forward with your career, investing, your business, lifestyle and relationships. Can you see yourself in Spain surrounded by the Financial Independence Europe family? Book now one of only 25 spots. Check out the details on our homepage. So hi, FA Europeans. Welcome to another episode of the Financial Independence Europe podcast. Uh, today with me is uh, Nick Newman from the United States. Hi, Nick. Hey, Matthias. Good to meet you. Um, yeah, and today we want to talk about a topic uh, that is um, kind of separating the financial independence community a little bit. Uh, it's about uh, crypto and how you can kind of secure it. Yeah, because there, there, I think currently there's it's not as user friendly as we would like to have that storing your crypto. But let's get to that uh, in a bit. Uh, I just would like to kind of know, get to know you a little bit better. That's why maybe uh, asking you how you get into this crypto thing. Have you just stopped school and signed up for a job post, or how did you did you get in this uh, company? Basically. Yeah, so actually, when I graduated college, I started my career in finance. So mm -hmm. I was working in investment banking and saw that whole side of the world pretty much. Um, and I spent a almost four years doing that and then really decided that I wanted to be 
actually building something. I felt like where Mm -hmm. I was in my career, I was spending a lot of time analyzing company, other companies, which was really great to learn from, but I didn't actually get to build companies myself. And that was what I, I wanted to do. And so jumped into the more tech startup world and uh, eventually made my way to crypto by just, you know, the kind of same way that it seems like a lot of people do, which is you come across a YouTube video or something talking about it. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly you're down the rabbit hole and you're spending all your time thinking about it. And so um, that was really what got me started in this industry. And it, it was one of those things where I was spending all of my free time thinking about it and writing and reading and and decided to to jump in full time. So I was actually not the original CEO of Casa. Mm-hmm. I was originally the head of product. And at the end of 2019, the previous CEO stepped down and I took over at that point. And so it's been a, a couple of years now that I've been CEO. It's been an amazing experience. And it's one of those things that where you just get to be right in the thick of the action on the crypto side. And um, it's a lot coming at you every day, but it's it's fun. And, and I've, I've really enjoyed it. And um, I think you have um, you mentioned that you have been an analyst in investment banking. How did you uh, how did it happen that you became a head of product? Um, have you been in touch with all this design thinking stuff, wireframing, or how did it happen? Yeah, so I, I'd been working in pro- as a product manager. I'd kind of I took any job I could get at the first startup that I switched over to. It was a travel tech startup. And um, Mm -hmm. I was initially in operations. And then we were small enough that we needed help on the product management side. And I just started Mm -hmm. doing some of that stuff. And so I learned kind of on the job trial by fire a little bit for a couple of years how to be a product manager. Mm -hmm. And that was the experience that I had coming into to being recruited to be head of product at CASA. As, as somebody who is also working as a product manager currently in a project, what, what's the most difficult as a product manager that you need to get right? Um, what have you learned there? What lessons? I think the, the, the most difficult thing is um, figuring out what to prioritize and when with limited resources. You've always got some level of limited resources, right? And mm-hmm. so... Um, figuring out what's going to have the biggest impact for the amount of time it's going to take was mm-hmm. always the puzzle that I was trying to do as a as a PM. And all of the other stuff around design and how's this feature going to work and all of that kind of thing was always fun to do and kind of came second, but really proving out the case for this is why we should do this thing right now versus something else. Mm. I think is is the most difficult thing as a PM. Uh, I have also the same experience. I have to say you have sometimes limited developer resources or some other business owners are asking for other features and have providing new requirements yeah. or increasing the scope along the road where you already thought, oh, I thought my scope is closed, but um, okay. Yes. <laughs> and then you have to um, also um, kind of convince the people above you so kind of ceos or other people right uh to support your kind of roadmap i think that's also um, important to get this buy-in um perfect. Yeah, it's interesting because you don't really um you're not anybody necessarily anybody's direct boss right mm-hmm. so you're always trying to to pull consensus from all the different areas of the team 
and get everybody's buy-in without directly just saying, this is what you have to do. So that I, I always found, found that kind of fun. It's um, it's kind of fun, but on some days, I, some days I also feel like begging. <laughs> please develop. <laughs> yeah. Could you please, maybe, if you're kind enough, uh, implement this? It's kind. I think there's also word lateral leadership, kind of leading without having the formal authority. Yeah, that's kind yeah. of difficult. You kind of have to convince them uh, from. Yeah, with your knowledge and with your expertise and yeah, also have a sense uh, for people, which is yeah, a great kind of to learn about the business side, but also about the people side. And yeah, I, I, totally. um, I think we also had somebody in the, in the podcast who has also been a product or a head of product, uh, change, switching from an e-commerce platform company to a, a crypto bank basically mm -hmm. and then as a head of product and then became kind of after a year or half a year became the ceo because i think she had a strong kind of vision and could um, bring some fresh spirit into this um, kind of nerd driven company and i think it yep. worked um so it's yeah it's um it definitely I, th i think being a product manager gives you a lot of tools to then be a ceo there's thing there's a lot of things that i've had to learn Mm -hmm. since making that shift, but it's a really good foundation in terms of working with people, managing, motivating, all that kind of thing. And and what have you learned after uh, after becoming a CEO? What have been the kind of first three things you need to needed to uh, learn? I think the biggest thing that I really had to get better at was speaking publicly and being mm -hmm. uh, you know being able to explain the vision and why are we doing what we do? Why is this important? Why should you care in a compelling way? That's something that I, when I first started, I really was not good at because I didn't have to, to really do that. I was very internally focused at the company. Mm. And so I've worked a lot on that personally, but uh, I still feel like I've got a, a long way to go there. Yeah, I think these CEOs, and I uh, kind of observe that from the outside, they have always a, a story or a kind of a purpose, and they repeat it um, so that people uh, can can follow that um, that vision. It must be kind of a simple simple sentences or simple messaging. And is it already too late for for maybe some people in the in the audience, the listeners? Who are maybe entrepreneurs or developers? Is it already too late to move into kind of crypto, or would you say it's still early days or day one? And no, it's it's still very early. I mean, we're mm -hmm. we're at the point. I think it's it's an interesting and great time to be getting into our industry because if you had been trying to get in a few years ago, mm -hmm. there was still a question from the broader world. I think about whether crypto was going to make it. Or whether it would all just collapse and go to zero. Yeah. And now we've crossed this bridge where, okay, maybe, maybe you're not the earliest of early adopters, but as a benefit of that, there's a very high level of certainty that Bitcoin and crypto at large will be around and will continue to grow substantially and, and become a really material part of our lives. And so I think it's a great time to be getting in because um, not only do you have that certainty 
on the industry as a whole. There's also a lot of companies that have been growing a lot and hiring a lot. And so there's tons of opportunities within the industry to make a move into the into a company. And so I, I think it's a great time to be getting into the crypto industry, especially if it's something that you're interested in. There's nothing better than working on something that you find fun every day. Yeah, I think also some people in our community are also spending their spare time in the evening or in the mornings hanging out on YouTube or reading some how to stake on Terra Luna or whatever. <laughs> so yeah. um, it's really, um, so I at least had yesterday had seen that you can make like 20% on, with, on Terra Luna with the Anchor protocol or something like that. I have to investigate a bit. Um, so yeah, there's always risk with those, those big, you know, earn 20% or more there's, you're taking substantial, I think, risk on the technology yeah. side, anytime you're doing that, but for people who are willing to take that risk and if they make it through without having to, you know, without having any bugs or anything like that, then I think it, it can be, um, pretty profitable. Yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm, um... I think I'm a bit afraid of, of potential bugs. And also I'm afraid that I cannot kind of close monitor closely. If you're doing some of these nerd things, you kind of have to monitor this closely and get out right. um, um, at the right time, basically. Do you think there are still um, so enough problems to solve or what are the kind of the most pressing problems to solve in the maybe one, two, two years? So that the, the industry as a whole can make uh, a progress. So what are the next problems to solve? Yeah, so I think that the problems to solve, I'm, I'm a little bit biased because we're, <laughs> at CASA, yeah. we're solving what I think is the most important problem. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that is just giving people a really simple way to mm -hmm. secure their Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrencies that they've invested in. Yeah. And it's one of those things that's a very different paradigm for people you know people are used to just keeping their money in the bank and that feels safe to them in m many countries at least with stable financial systems around the world mm -hmm. and acting the same way with your bitcoin is just significantly riskier and that's for a few reasons that we can get into if, if you want but the, yes. the at a high level the The most important problem, I think, is making it simpler for people to secure their Bitcoin in an easy way, mm. because then they'll feel safe using it. I think that anxiety of how do I do this thing? And, you know, this is all a whole new world and it's different and scary. And I don't know if I trust it keeps mm. a lot of people from investing and participating in the crypto ecosystem. And that's something that, that needs to be solved. We need better user experiences here. Uh, so you don't think that it's kind of too centralized or you don't think that there are too many, few use cases. So you think as a user experience um, to get real mass adoption is kind of the, the most pressing problem for, for crypto right now, basically. Yeah. So yes, for this reason, security is the, the base foundation of mm. everything that you do in the rest of the crypto ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And so we need to get that base building block right and make it safe for people so that then they're able to participate in the, the broader range of applications and decentralized use cases that are getting mm -hmm. built out. If you don't have that, that fundamental building block in place, you're really at risk for the whole thing crumbling. 
Okay, so maybe um, then let's talk about a, a little bit about Casa. Um, so I understood it's kind of a wallet. So basically before crypto, I kind of had also a wallet with some of these uh, coins of metal on paper. I really mm -hmm. ha hated that. So I had also yeah. these bank accounts where I had these tokens on my phone or as in form of a card. And now um, basically with, with Casa, we're moving the kind of removing this paper wallet or the coin wallet into a kind of other form of, of wallet. Can you maybe explain what it is or what people can kind of create that people can create an image of what Casa is and, and can do in, in their head? So maybe before I get into what Casa does specifically, I'll just back mm -hmm. out a little bit to give a broader view of the, the ways you can store your crypto. Mm -hmm. So you can basically either Use, store it with an exchange, which is like Coinbase or Kraken or name any other exchanges, Binance that operate globally. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like using a bank today yeah. where they are holding your private keys, which are mm -hmm. the, your private key is like your password to your Bitcoin, basically. Mm -hmm. And so when you're doing that, you know, in the, in the traditional financial system, It's actually relatively safe if you're in a uh, stable country to hold your money in a bank, right? That's how everybody does it. And the reason for that is that a lot of the transfers that people are making are reversible. So if somebody gets in, steals your credit card or something like that, you can mm -hmm. usually just call up your credit card company and say, hey, this wasn't me, this was fraud. And they'll put the, the money back in your account. But with crypto, If you send a transaction, it's irreversible. So if somebody is able to get access to your Coinbase account, for example, and mm -hmm. send out all the Bitcoin, Coinbase can't even do anything about that. And you just lost all of your investment. Yeah, right? I, I've, see, I've seen uh, or read some news that there, there was uh, people lost some money on, on Coinbase. And then it was kind of maybe 6,000. And then they kind of said, okay, We will kind of refund it because they maybe have, or Coinbase has some in, kind of insurance uh, for it. And so kind of the, the, the customer of Coinbase got back their, their amount. But, um, I think the reason why it got lost was some bug or some, some hack of Coinbase. Yeah. I think maybe in March it was. And so they, they gave back the money. If you then, I mean, this was Coinbase fault, so maybe then they okay had to refund. But if you kind of just sending your money from Coinbase to a wrong wallet, then I guess they can't help you that much to recover the funds. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of cases. So you're right that in that uh, specific incident, Coinbase basically took the loss off their balance sheet. I think the insurance probably covered some of it, but all of these insurance policies are never large enough to cover their whole customer base. And so mm -hmm. anyway, the Coinbase covered and, and refunded the customers, but that was really because it was a bug on their side, like you said, whereas there's a lot of people every day who are having isolated incidents where their single account gets compromised by somebody who tricks them into giving up their username and password. Mm -hmm. And Coinbase doesn't do anything about that. You've just lost your money. We've seen this happen with people and it, it's, it's not ideal. And so mm -hmm. the way to protect against that is to actually 
hold the keys yourself. So this is kind of what you were talking about with you had the the piece of paper or the metal where you had your private key written down, mm -hmm. um, or you can hold it in a wallet on your phone where the phone holds the key on your phone itself. So if somebody logs into your account somewhere else, they can't get it because the key's only on your phone. Mm -hmm. So those are more like wallets, right? But the problem with those that you start to run into is that if you lose that key, that piece of metal or your phone or whatever, you've lost all your money. Yeah. And so that causes a lot of anxiety for people too. And yes. so it's you're kind of stuck between this rock and a hard place. And the reason what we started CASA to do was mm -hmm. to give people a way to hold their own keys mm -hmm. so that they are the one, they have that safety of somebody can't hack their account and get all their money. But at the same time, they don't have to worry about losing a key, meaning they've lost all their money. So yep. with CASA, you actually have multiple keys that protect your Bitcoin. Go I ahead. think that was also um, one of the <laughs> one of the things that made me uh, well made me look into this a little bit more into into Casa because I also had so I I'm on the the one who's not kind of trusting I'm not trusting myself uh, because <laughs> I'm not the tidiest person so maybe right. it's getting it's getting lost and I'm also sometimes getting cards replaced and I really like that it's kind of re re reversible and they can just lock the card. Uh, so I'm yeah. kind of keeping it on the exchange, but I know that it's not ideal because you have only maybe maybe the phone as the second uh, factor and then you have your password. And I think that's kind of not enough if you have a lot of money. And I think also the bigger, the, the whales, so the, the people with a lot of crypto, they also not keep their money uh, on, on the exchange, but they're just moving it always. When they want to make a transaction, they're moving it actually from, from their wallet to the exchange. So yeah. I think they are, they are also have their mechanisms, how they store their, their crypto. And um, can you, can you explain a little bit how it works that you have multiple keys because uh, how, how does it work? I mean, it's, it's yeah, three so or how many keys is it? So we have a couple of different mm -hmm. levels we've got at, at our free level. It's just a really simple mobile wallet on your phone, mm -hmm. but we actually encrypt the key that is stored on your phone and back it up to Google Drive or iCloud or whatever cloud service that you use. Mm -hmm. And what that means is if you lose your phone, all you need to do is log into your Casa account and your iCloud on your new phone, and it'll give you put the key back on your device. But as you go up in security tiers, that's when you start to have multiple keys protecting your funds. So at our, at our basic tier, you've got three keys. One mm -hmm. key is on your phone. So all, all you need is your phone. One key is on a hardware wallet. So that's like a, a ledger or a treasure. You know, they look like a little USB device, basically. Mm -hmm. And then one key is held by CASA. So you know that we always have that key. So you only need two of those three keys to actually send any Bitcoin. Let's say you lose that, that hardware wallet, mm -hmm. that you still have that key on your phone and that key held by CASA. And so mm -hmm. it, it makes it much more resilient against making mistakes. And um, so you're basically also targeting people who are able um, to to kind of maintain such a hardware wallet. So that's kind of mandatory to to have that. I think some some of my friends yeah. have these hardware wallets, and they're kind of always they have anxiety that they lose it. Some have, have it right. in in a bank deposit, so kind of locked away. 
and some have it maybe in their garden. Can you also have multiple wallets? Or how can you yes. explain maybe how these wallets uh, work, these hardware wallets, for the people who don't know about this? Sure. So the way that a hardware wallet works is it basically is a special purpose device that looks like a little USB stick, mm -hmm. and it holds your private key on there. And so it, in, with Casa, it's holding one of the three private keys that are protecting your funds. Mm -hmm. And anytime you're going to go send a transaction, you are approving it from your phone. And then you're also approving it from your hardware wallet, which basically it has a little screen on it. You're plugging it into your computer and the Casa app is walking you through actually using that and, and approving the transaction on that device. Mm -hmm. So for anybody who's already using a hardware wallet and they're already familiar with this and how they work, it's really simple. And, and honestly, it's easier to use Casa plus a hardware wallet than it is to use the hardware wallet by itself. That's because it gives you that one, we've done a really good job of designing our software to keep things super simple. But then two, it gives you that extra level of protection. You don't have to worry as much about losing that hardware wallet and losing all your money. And mm -hmm. so then as you get to our higher security tiers from there, you increase the number of keys that are protecting your funds. And so this is really for people who are protecting more than a hundred thousand us dollars worth of mm -hmm. bitcoin and you actually have five total keys at this point so it's one key on your phone three keys on different hardware wallets and then one key held by casa and at this level we we send you a package that has the hardware wallets that you need and then we even get on the phone with you and do a video call to walk you through setup and make sure that you've got everything set up securely and correctly and, and you know how to how to do this properly. So we have a, a full client service team that helps people out with that. So a lot of people come to us from, they've been on Coinbase or another exchange for a couple of years. They know the risks, but they didn't want to just take everything into holding a, it all on a single hardware wallet. Well, now that Casa is here to help them through it, they're, they're, they're comfortable with holding their own keys. And so that's what we offer at those, those higher security levels. And, and who's the audience for, because I think, um, um, from the price level, um, the having five keys, I think it's, um, not affordable for, for, let's say for everyone. So can you right. maybe, uh, give an indication who's kind of the audience for each of these, uh, kind of levels and, and how much they are approximately? Sure. So for the free wallet, that's for, you know, anybody who is storing anywhere from a couple hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin to, you know, around a thousand, maybe a couple thousand dollars of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Then you go up to our basic tier, which has the three keys. That's 10 bucks a month, $10 a month. Mm -hmm. And that is for people who are anywhere from a couple thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin to you know, 75 or $100,000 worth of Bitcoin. And then you start to get into our, our premium high security tiers. These are 1,800 and 5,000 per year. So the two tiers. And at that level, we're really looking at people who are securing a large amount of Bitcoin. So anywhere above 100,000 to millions or tens of millions of dollars worth of Bitcoin are our clients at those levels. Mm -hmm. So it it's really meant to be more of that premium service with 
for, for people who are high net worth individuals and who have a really big problem with securing their Bitcoin because they've got a lot of Bitcoin. And if they lose it, it's a significant portion of their net worth. Yeah. And I think uh, I think even if it's 5K, it's for such a high net worth individual. Um, I think solving the problem is maybe more important than than the 5K because, I mean, right. they make this as a performance probably in the next years. And, you're yeah, also and, and actually, when you compare it, like at some of the levels of holdings for some of the, the clients that we serve at that 5K tier, mm -hmm. it's actually cheaper than it would be for them if they went to a professional custodian like Coinbase Custody or Fidelity or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so um, it, it actually kind of flips the other way in terms of being less expensive based on the amount of holdings that you have. So, so basically, Coinbase has also kind of a, a service like uh, Casa, where they help people to store their money offline. Could it so it's um, it's basically like a higher security tier within Coinbase, where Coinbase is still holding the keys, mm. but it's a a higher level of security with extra, you know, verifications to move money and all that kind of thing. Now, they don't really serve very many individuals with this. It's mostly institutions that mm -hmm. they serve with this product. And that's just because it's really hard. They're doing manual video verification checks anytime they're moving mm -hmm. um, any crypto for their clients. It's really hard to do that on a mass scale for a lot of individuals. Whereas with Casa, since the individuals are holding their own keys, they actually, Casa doesn't have to get involved every time you want to send a transaction. You're just approving it from your own set of keys. And it's really using the same security that Coinbase does behind the scenes. Coinbase is, is protecting their Coinbase custody customers' funds using multiple keys. And it's the same thing. We're just bringing this to the individual. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, I think, slightly more secure to work with you than with the Coinbase because they still have the key, basically. Right. But um, with Casa, there's still a slightly more responsibility involved uh, because you have to, in the end, you have to manage your keys and you have to think about locations where you put your hardware wallets. Because if you have like five keys, maybe in three hardware wallets, then you have to put them in different locations. Yeah. Um, and so generally what people will do is, you know, they've got one key on their phone, which is with them all the time. Maybe mm -hmm. they keep one key at their house in a safe Or something like that. Mm -hmm. They keep one key in a bank safety deposit box mm -hmm. and then one key at their office or at a relative's house or, or maybe another safety deposit box or something like that. And the idea there is if you distribute those three keys geographically, mm -hmm. it gives you a lot of protection against things like theft or natural disasters. So for example, there was just in, in Colorado where I live, There was just a huge fire in Boulder, one of the cities here, and it completely burned down hundreds of homes and to the ground, all just ash. It was terrible. Mm. If you were holding your key, your single hardware key in your house, it mm. probably burned down and you've lost all your Bitcoin. Whereas if you had more of a geographical distribution with Casa of your keys, you would have been fine after that happened. So it protects against a few other other angles when you distribute your keys like that. 
Yeah, I think I think also cloud services have backups of your website or your data also in different uh, regions because of that. Yeah, so it makes um, sense. And one feature that I've seen is this uh, helping with inheriting. So if you kind of close to die, <laughs> you can also prepare with Casa to in inherit your Bitcoin. How does that work? Yeah, so there's very few solutions for ensuring that your heirs can receive the, the Bitcoin that you own after you pass away. Mm -hmm. And in terms of solutions where you're holding the keys, Casa is the only solution that offers this today. And the way that it works is that you basically make sure you work with our client service team. They help you through all of this. And we set it up so that we know who your beneficiary is going to be. And if you mm -hmm. pass away, we transfer the software account to them. And so that means that they'll be able with another one other piece of information, they'll be able to access the key that was on your phone. And then mm -hmm. second, we make sure that you have other keys that are accessible to them through the legal system or through instructions that you've left for them, et cetera. So maybe, mm -hmm. maybe you were keeping one of the keys in a bank safety deposit box. You, your heirs could actually access that key mm -hmm. using a court order after you pass away. And then finally, there's that key held by CASA. And we, based on the beneficiary agreement that we set up, will sign with that key to approve a transaction for the people that you named as your beneficiaries. Mm. And so that gives you the, the three of the five keys that you need to access the Bitcoin for your heirs to access the Bitcoin. And one of the things that, that people really like about this is a lot of people's family members and heirs don't actually know how to use Bitcoin, really. They're not comfortable with it. There's kind of the, the original person who invested is the one who is really handling this on a day-to-day -day basis. Well, if they pass away, their family members can just turn to CASA and our team can actually help them through this whole process and make sure that they know what they're doing. They don't make any mistakes. And it just adds a lot of comfort for people. Uh, yes, because the one who's investing in Bitcoin is maybe not inheriting also the, the, the whole financial lit literacy or the investing knowledge uh, to them. So they need maybe also some help to uh, be comfortable to uh, manage that uh, probably large amount of um, crypto. And um, as I understood, this is, a, I think, also a unique feature. You only manage Bitcoin currently, probably because it's yep, the most correct. important currency and no Ethereum or um, SushiCoin or whatever. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's correct. So Bitcoin's the biggest and, and most important. And we really think that Bitcoin has is the best form of money in the world. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and especially for financial independence, which we can talk through, but that's why as a smaller team, we've really focused on securing Bitcoin because security is one of those things where if you make a single mistake, you could accidentally cause your customers to lose money. And so for us, making sure that we had the absolute most secure system for protecting Bitcoin was more important to us than trying to support all of the different cryptocurrencies that are out there. So we wanted to be kind of you know, an inch wide and a mile deep on our security instead of a mile wide and an inch deep on a bunch of different coins. So that's how we think about that and, and why we support Bitcoin only. 
Yeah, and, and people can just convert maybe their, their Ethereum to Bitcoin if they really want to use um, the service. Uh, you sound a bit like Michael Saylor when you said uh, Bitcoin is the only form or the best form of money. Um, well, I think there's a lot of us that agree with, with Michael for sure. And, and I'm not saying that other, other currencies aren't money or they don't have legitimate use cases or anything like that. But mm. I definitely believe that Bitcoin is the best form of money that we have in the world today. And mm. especially for financial independence, you know, like what, what you talk about here a lot, because it's got two properties that really make it that best form of money, in, in my opinion. The, the mm -hmm. first is it's got that protection against inflation. And that's what a lot of people know about Bitcoin, right? So mm -hmm. there's only ever going to be 21 million Bitcoin. And it makes sure that you aren't exposed necessarily to the, the problems that inflation causes. And you know we're seeing it today in, in a world post-COVID pandemic, there, inflation's been pretty high around yeah. the world and living expenses are going up. And so suddenly retirement just got way more expensive for people. And that can, that can have a really big effect on people's financial planning. And then the second thing is, I think more arguably more important and especially for that financial independence. And that's that with Bitcoin, you, if you are holding your own keys, you and only you, control your money. So you are being your own bank. Mm. And what that means is, you know, when you see problems with a banking system, ecosystem within a country, because there's a financial crisis or something like that, you actually, mm. we, we've seen people have trouble accessing their money when they need it most, or mm. sometimes it's forcibly taken from them. So if you look back to the early 2000s, Argentina was going through a financial crisis. A lot of people, especially their high net worth individuals, were holding their savings in US dollars. Mm -hmm. And the government completely restricted the ability to withdraw US dollars from their bank account. And then later, they forcibly converted those US dollars to Argentine pesos. Mm -hmm. So everybody who was holding US dollars magically found that all of the dollars in their bank account had become pesos. Mm. When you hold your own keys with Bitcoin, nobody can do that without your approval. Nobody can come and seize your Bitcoin and force you to turn it into whatever currency is the national currency of the country. And so when you think about financial independence, the time that it matters the most mm. is when everything's going wrong, right? That's when you want to make sure that you have your independence and, and you have a plan. And so Bitcoin is incredibly useful for that, yeah, but you, it only if you're holding your own keys. That's a good pitch as, as to the financial independence community because uh, freedom and um, making your own decisions is um, kind of the core value of, of, of these people. And um, also, some of them are also traveling in, in, in countries like Turkey right. and uh, not really Kazakhstan. They have also high inflation. Um, so I think, yeah, many of them have Bitcoin and they also rely on it because they're kind of financial independent people. They are also often living off their crypto or Bitcoin and uh, savings. Right. So they really need to make sure that they kind of own it because otherwise they don't have money to live from uh, because right. many of them don't have the job. 
If, can I also access my Bitcoin is, if Casa is offline? So maybe I cannot access the app because uh, the guy from the Federal Reserve just made it offline. <laughs> um, can I really um, get my Bitcoin then? Yeah, you can. So that's Casa is all about, you know, you hold your own keys and you are always able to access your Bitcoin, even mm -hmm. if Casa goes down. So if Casa were to suddenly disappear overnight, you can still use other software to rebuild your wallet mm -hmm. because you have the keys and then be able to access your Bitcoin through that other software. Is it going to be as simple as it was to set up with Casa? No, because that's Casa's real benefit, right? We've made it very simple to do this in a secure way. But you can always, you always do have that ability to access your Bitcoin, even if Casa completely goes away. Are you, uh, have you built Casa on kind of uh, existing open source uh, products, maybe some other open source wallet or using open source protocols? Or what's the stack you can disclose? Yeah, so we the reason that this is possible is because the multiple key security setup with CASA, it's, it, the technical term for it is multi-sig, multi-signature. Because we've built that using the Bitcoin protocols rules for multi-sig, mm -hmm. that's what lets you go and use any other wallet out there because everybody else can tie into that same Bitcoin protocol rules for creating these wallets. And so, for example, there's an app called Electrum, which is a desktop app that you can download and do this with. There's another one called Spectre that you can download and do this with. And we have guides for people so that they can set this up ahead of time, even if they want to, and mm -hmm. have it ready to go in case something were ever to happen to CASA. Um, we've written guides on our blog and, and all of that. So it all really boils down to the fact that we've built this on Bitcoin, which is an open source protocol. And I've seen on your website, they really have a lot of information, even if they don't want people don't want to use Casa, they can really find um, also some of the videos that you, you made, I think, but also about here, like a thread overview, like phishing, Zim hijacking, which I don't know actually, child pet attack, and so on. So it's really a cool list of uh, things that can go wrong. So I think you made a good job of kind of teaching, um, educating people so that they can kind of prepare. And yeah, that's our goal. Even if you're not using Casa, we want people to be comfortable holding their own keys because we think that's the most important thing that comes out of this crypto revolution is mm -hmm. if as many people as possible are holding their own keys and being their own bank and having that control and real ownership over their money and their financial assets. And how did, how do you save the keys that you um, save, save from the customers on Casa's side? Is it just a unsecured MySQL database or how do, how do you secure the keys? Um, maybe if you have three keys, one is, I think you, you um, kind of manage. Is it yeah. kind of secure? Have you some? Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's that key that Casa holds mm -hmm. is held on an offline special purpose security hardware, which requires somebody when we are approving a transaction, it actually requires a Casa employee to manually approve it on that physical hardware. And so we don't use that. That's why we don't use that key as part of every 
transaction. It's meant to be something where if you lose a key, we can help you with that key. Mm-hmm. And we actually have these verification checks where for our premium clients, you we're getting on a video call with you and mm-hmm. making sure that you're safe and there's nobody forcing you to do this. And then there's this 48-hour wait period before we sign with the key. So we've put a lot of security measures in place around the use of that key. How is it called when uh, there's some software where you can emulate a person? So um, <laughs> I don't know the name, but... Um, um, yeah, the, like an AI... Um, yes. Uh, fake something. I'm fake, fake, right now. fake fake video. I think also yeah. the, the Russians used it to get into the EU parliament uh, to <laughs> attend. A, deep fake. Right? Deep fake, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But I think therefore you have this 48 uh, hour waiting period. And yeah. I think you there's also software to recognize if it's a deep, deep fake or not uh, at the moment. And we also have, as part of that uh, security call, We do a check with special duress words for our mm-hmm. clients that mm-hmm. we've actually set up ahead of time with them. And so mm-hmm. we know we have ways to to try and combat that risk of deep fakes to to make sure that, hey, this mm-hmm. person is is actually who they say they are. Um, that's cool. So you put a lot of thought into it. And how many employees do you have? I mean, you're your startup and probably venture capital funded. So you have kind of more than two. Yeah, yeah. So we're we're okay. a, about thirty uh, five people today. Okay, so that's a good chunk. Uh, probably some freelancer, but maybe just one third. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean it's uh, it, that's actually all of our full time employees, and then we work with some contractors on on mm-hmm. the side. But we definitely we have you know sizable teams of for our client service side of things because that's a, a big part of our offering and so you know about a fourth of those 35 are are people who are just interfacing with our clients every day mm. on video calls making sure they're safe making sure they know what they're doing etc mm. for how long uh, casa exists as a, as a company i think people trust longer existing companies more than uh, yeah. younger companies yeah we've been around since um early 2018 so the company really started got off the ground in in early 2018 and it's in its current form mm. and that was you know when we started working on our on our security product and we've seen a lot since then we've grown a lot we've we're one of the the longest standing bitcoin companies in the industry at this point because of how new the industry is and then even before that my co-founder Jameson Lop who's mm. our CTO Mm-hmm. He was the lead uh, infrastructure architect at BitGo. And BitGo is mm-hmm. a, a very secure custodian where they're holding your keys for you and they're mostly working with institutions. But he saw a lot of the important uh, technical advances that have happened in the security side of things from Bitcoin. And so he, he brings in a, a, a large amount of experience on the security side even beyond what you know the the four years now that cost has been around and you have uh, uh, seed rounds basically what uh, are you serial a or b or what kind of funding do you currently funding stage do you have 
Yep. So we have raised money from seed investors, and then we have other things too that we'll probably be announcing soon around um, around this topic. But I'm not getting into it quite yet. Of course. So um, then it looks like you're probably well funded. What do you think? Uh, how will Casa and work? Because we have also other kind of tokens. Do you maybe plan to also support NFTs in the future or? Other tokenized stocks that people can also hold in their wallet, or is it kind of more like a three to five years in the future? It really comes down to you know what are what are our customers asking for the most, mm -hmm. and what are their needs, and and how do we advance our mission of putting private keys into as many people's hands as possible? How do we advance that as efficiently as possible? And so. You know, right now we are just supporting Bitcoin and are focused on that. Maybe in the future we'll support more than that, but it's it really comes down to what are the resources that we have and making sure that we always have the majority of our focus on Bitcoin simply because we believe it has the biggest chance to impact the world in a positive way. Mm. And then second, just uh, really basing it on on what our customers need. Maybe, maybe also a B2B question because I'm also involved in the Fintech Meetup Europe and the fintechweekly.com. Um, do you plan also to offer it as a white label solution for banks or for other institutions that they can also offering such a service? Or do you say we want to scale kind of alone without offering it to others? We don't have a plan for white labeling right now. Mm -hmm. We are talking with some partners about integrations that would, you know, do kind of a, a tight integration between their software and the Casa software that mm -hmm. isn't fully a white label, um, but is, you know, kind of getting close to that. Casa to, to this date has really been a consumer brand, consumer product type of company. And that's what we're really good at. And so while we do see some opportunities in the B2B side of things, um, and we do actually have some businesses that use our product to mm -hmm. secure Bitcoin that they hold in their, their corporate treasury, we are mostly focused on serving individuals. Um, yeah, I think if you, if you offer it for companies, they also need, um, they need to support multiple employees that can access or maybe approval workflows and so on. So that's and we do actually have some of that, some of that built. So at that 5k per year tier, we have the ability to add people to your team. And so when you have multiple keys protecting your Bitcoin, it actually is pretty logical that you could give one key to different people on your team. And then they've all got a, a part of the approval process for mm -hmm. any Bitcoin to be sent out of the treasury wallet. And so we have those types of team features built in at that higher tier level. Yeah, wonderful. Is there, is there anything else I haven't maybe asked about Casa uh, that you people might need to know? No, I think you've, you've really covered it all. Thank you. And it's, like I said, it, it just comes down to our mission in the end of making it as simple and safe as possible for people mm -hmm. to hold their own keys be their own bank and secure their Bitcoin without all the anxiety that kind of traditionally has come with that in our industry. So we're, we're trying to do a lot of education. We're trying to build simple products, build a community around this. 
And we definitely encourage anybody who has questions to reach out to our team. You can get on a call with our team and ask them questions about the product, what, you know, you can email us, anything like that. So we're really trying to help people to shift to this new way of securing their money. And and how are your plans to be? Uh, have you also plans to become financial independence or would, do you say, I always would like to work and and so on? Or do you think entrepreneurship is a very good road to uh, financial independence? I think yeah, entrepreneurship is a, is a great road to financial independence. I would mm -hmm. love to have a, a very, uh, you know, solid base in financial independence for myself and my family. But I think that I will always, in addition to that, that's nice to fall back on. But I think that I'll, for a long time, I'll be working and building just because I enjoy building products and solving problems mm -hmm. so much. So I don't see myself retiring at age 33, for example. And, and you also think at maybe you're 45, you still have some motivation, maybe if you have a kind of 2 million in, in Bitcoin and you still have some motivation to go um, go out of bed at eight or seven and build products or solve solve problems. Because yeah, I think- Yeah, 100%. Okay. I think some people like, do, do have a lack of motivation then afterwards or are not feeling the need, need some more pressure. I think. And um, do you think also uh, there's currently the people who believe in I don't need nothing else than um, ETFs to, to build my financial independence? And then there's also other people who um, use options or, uh, or crypto. Would you say um, people with ETFs should also have uh, this portion in, in crypto? Or would you say that's okay if they don't only want to go the ETF route? I mean, in, in the end, it's really their decision, right? But I think that especially for the, like, just think back to what I was kind of saying earlier about why Bitcoin is such a great tool for financial independence. Mm. You give up a lot of those benefits if you don't own the Bitcoin directly. Mm. And so even if you're viewing Bitcoin as a hedge for a you know catastrophic event or problems in the financial system, The only way that you hedge against those types of systemic problems are if you are holding the Bitcoin yourself, not through an ETF, not keeping it on an exchange. You got to hold the keys because if the fin whole financial system is melting down, you know, you are unlikely to be able to access the Bitcoin that is sitting in your ETF. The, all the liquidity will lock up. You know, it, it's going to be very difficult to be able to use that either use it as money or cash it out to actually be uh, like getting cash to use in your, your life or whatever. So I think that even if it's a small portion of your portfolio, mm -hmm. if you are really serious about financial independence, it's important to have a little piece of that in Bitcoin and make sure you're holding the keys for it. And we all know it's not, there's a probability that the financial system collapse somehow is, is not close to the S not zero, but it's increasing right. somehow. Yeah. Um, yeah, cool. And, um, as a, uh, um, as a trend scout or a tech person at what, what are the next things in, in crypto web three, NFT, DeFi, and so on trends you see for the next year or two that are, emerging? I think, I think that, um, within the Bitcoin space specifically, we're seeing some of the, uh, primitives that are have been built in 
DeFi and some of the other crypto ecosystems like mm-hmm. Ethereum starting to come over to Bitcoin. And that's exciting. But uh, we're also starting to see more adoption of things like the Lightning Network, which is a layer two for Bitcoin, which actually makes it much faster to send Bitcoin. And so, and you can send much smaller amounts. It's You can send micro payments of less than a cent if you want to. So I think that that is something that I really am excited about and I'm keeping an eye on. And then within the broader crypto ecosystem, I know NFTs have been really hot over the last six months. Mm-hmm. I, what I'm kind of expecting with NFTs is that we saw a very early version of them with all of the kind of profile pictures and little art animals and stuff that people are putting as their profile pictures on Twitter, which builds community. And, and I think that it's pretty interesting to have seen that um, grow. But on, I think that it's actually kind of an early toy version of what NFTs could actually turn into in the future. And I think that there's there are a few different groups, teams, companies building on um, NFTs in ways that will unlock much more than we're thinking about today. And you know, it's things that I don't even know about uh, that are, that are getting built kind of behind the scenes and haven't even launched yet. So. I'm pretty excited about about what's going on there and looking forward to watching that evolve over the next couple of years. Yeah, it's, it's sometimes hard to imagine what what people can kind of create with their imagination and, and technology. Um, yeah. So I'm curious. So thank you very much for the interview. Um, and um, yeah, see you next yeah, thank time, you. hopefully. And um, yeah, I would encourage everybody to check out Casa and have a look at it. So thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, and if you... Uh, Just to give real quick plug our website, the website is keys.casa. So that's K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Mm-hmm. Or you can follow us on Twitter at Casa Hodl. So that's C-A-S-A-H-O-D-L. Cool. We'll also put it in the show notes that people can also awesome. click, click on it. Thank you very much. Thanks, Matthias. Thank you for listening to the episode. We really appreciate you taking the time and we would love to hear your feedback in the comments on our website financial-independence.eu or you can head over to our Facebook group and engage with us and like-minded people that you can find at financial-independence.eu slash community. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify or your favorite podcast app and leave us a review if you like. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram using the handle FIEurope. And for people on our email list, we post occasionally about special updates, ideas, events, and curate the best contents from the European FI community. You can find that at financial-independence.eu newsletter. Thank you for being part of the community and see you in the next episode.